Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 320. No, you're thinking of 420, this is episode 320 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT. AEW, of course, coming out of Forbidden Door, directly into Blood and Guts. NXT presenting its go-home show for NXT, the Great American Bash special episode next week on USA Network. As you can tell, we have an absolute ton to talk about on today's show. So in true getting over fashion, we are not going to waste any time off the top here. Let me remind you right away that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please do us a kindness and head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a minute out of your damn life. Also leave us a five-star review. Let everyone reading those reviews know why you listen to the show, why you love it, why you subscribe, and why they should as well. The ratings are important. The reviews help us massively. They get us in front of more people, which leads to more downloads, more subscribers, and hopefully better things in the future for the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini. Speaking of Chris, he once again will technically be absent from today's show. However, he did attend AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts on Wednesday night, and in a first for this podcast, he will be sending us a correspondent report. So later in the show, after I talk about the Blood and Guts match, you will hear from Chris moments after Blood and Guts, I guess you could say went off the air, moments after he got home from Blood and Guts in Detroit this past Wednesday. He did not stay for Rampage for travel reasons, uh, but he does join us and is going to break down what he saw in person from AEW on Wednesday night. So yes, plenty of stuff to look forward to on today's show. A quick reminder of what is still to come this week for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitter Spaces, you can hear our WWE Money in the Bank live pre-show. Chris, the Silver King, we will both be there to break down the entire card with predictions for each of the matches. We will open up the mics, allow you guys to ask questions, provide comments, talk to us. It's a really fun time. The way you can access that for free, once again, is to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Immediately following that pre-show, we will post a pre-show poll on Twitter. That way you guys can give your expectation grades for Money in the Bank. And of course, As soon as the show goes off the air, you will have a post-show poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast, as well as the WWE Money in the Bank Instant Analysis Podcast that will be in your ear holes by either very late Saturday night or first thing Sunday morning. We tape it as soon as the show goes off the air. The Instant Analysis is indeed the signature Getting Over podcast with the ultimate previews kind of factoring in number two right there. But nevertheless, a lot of great content coming for you on Saturday, and please Do not miss our WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview, which was already taped on Tuesday. There are timestamps in that episode description. So if you don't want to hear about the rest of the week in WWE and just want to focus on the Ultimate Preview, you will be able to do that. Speaking of timestamps, we also have those in this and every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So if you only watch AEW or NXT and just want to hear about one or the other, you can skip around. But as always, I really hope you guys are listening to this entire episode show. Speaking of, let's actually get the show started. This week, we are going to start with AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts. NXT is an ultimate preview section. So as always, we do that at the end of the show. Blood and Guts also is, of course, a huge match uh, with what I hope was the culmination of a longtime feud rivalry that we had gotten in AEW as of late. So let's get right into it. Uh, AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts. It was very much a one-match show, which is to be expected to some degree, but it was simultaneously a little disappointing that that was the case, given we were coming out of Forbidden Door, and yes, they have plenty of time, technically, until their next pay-per-view, but you really wanted some stuff to get accomplished. Like, you wanted to feel like 
major storylines were moving in a direction or that I should say, I'm sorry, major storylines were getting created, uh, that there was some momentum for certain things going on in the company. And instead, everything was just like, if it was mentioned at all, it was, we'll get to it in the future. So I personally was just a little disappointing, disappointed. The first hour and 10 minutes, I would say, it just wasn't particularly entertaining. There were a couple bright spots, not much though to really sink your teeth into. Now, of course, the final 50 minutes was the blood and guts match, which of course was exceptionally entertaining. And that is really what this show was about. So let's get right into that match. There's plenty to talk about from Blood and Guts. And then we'll go over everything else that happened in AEW this week, both Dynamite and Rampage. So Blood and Guts, the main event, I believe it started around 9, 10 p.m. Eastern. It was the Jericho Appreciation Society against what was labeled the Blackpool Combat Club, but was John Moxley, Claudio Castanoli, and Wheeler Yuta from Blackpool, plus Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, who are really the three people that started this feud with Jericho. That's what the feud was based on. It just kind of became about Blackpool Combat Club, which, again, was something that has bothered me in recent weeks. Uh, JAS came out in red leather and mesh gear, looking like, I, I think they were going for A Clockwork Orange. and uh, That's an old movie. I know many of you probably haven't even seen it. I think that's what they were going for with that look. Uh, JAS had the advantage, don't forget, going into the match. They earned that at Forbidden Door by winning that six-man tag team match. Uh, Claudio and Sammy Guevara, they were the first two in the ring. Daniel Garcia came in next wearing a do-rag, followed by Wheeler Yuta and Jake Hager. Claudio and Hager got a very brief We the People chant, hearkening back to 2014 when they were together in WWE. Mox was next in with a chair and a fork, and he used that on Garcia, who was the first to blade in the match. Blackpool hit a heart attack, pop-up cutter, and a flying headbutt on Sammy, which was on its own, honestly, one of the best sequences of the entire match. Angelo Parker entered and immediately got taken out despite a four-on-three advantage for the heels. Ortiz and Matt Menard with a chair came in next. Mox, Parker, and Ortiz all bladed. Santana entered with a table and a barbed wire bat. He had a urinagi and appeared to legitimately injure his knee on the landing for that urinagi. Actually, I think it was on the lift. I don't even know if it was on the landing, but I would say 25 to 30 seconds after he was in the ring, he was injured. Mox then jabbed something into Menard's head, so he got bloody. Yuta and Garcia had a slap fight in the middle of the rings. Jericho came in with his bat. Sammy hit a diving cutter on Ortiz. Claudio hit a pop-up European uppercut before eating a code breaker. Everyone was down except for Jericho. And there was a huge Eddie chant before Kingston entered last with a kendo stick. He beat everyone with it. And then he kind of chased Jericho into the corner as he cowered. He just beat the shit out of Jericho with the kendo stick, probably just for like five seconds. Uh, Then he pulled some rubbing alcohol out of his pants and took the cap off. And it got spilled as he got swarmed by JAS, so he couldn't do anything with it. Then Ty Conti shoved another bottle of rubbing alcohol like through the parts of the cage to Jericho. And that was the first 30 minutes of the match. Candidly, they were just kind of monotonous to me. Like, that's not abnormal for a war game style match. It also happens with Royal Rumbles and and similar things like that, where you're just kind of like setting up the people in the ring that you need to be there to kind of get everything going. And in war games, the way that match historically actually works, which of course this is technically blood and guts is different, is the match doesn't begin until everyone is in the ring. Then at that point, the first pinfall or submission ends the match. But this just felt particularly slow, that first 30 minutes, despite a couple highlights that I mentioned. Of course, business picked up massively over the final 20 minutes. Hager ate a really soft powerbomb into a table. Thumbtacks were emptied into ring two as Mox put Menard into them. The canvas and pad was then pulled up in ring one. Parker somehow wound up outside the cage, hanging upside down from a truss. I have no idea how he got there, but he had blood on his chest, on his face, and it did look really badass. Like, If you were going to take a photo of what AEW Blood and Guts is, and you have a dude hanging upside down, bloodied from the middle with people fighting in both rings, that's an awesome shot. I just have no idea how it happened or why it happened. Uh, Jericho dragged Mox on his back through some tacks and then put him in the walls of Jericho. Kingston gathered a bunch of tacks in his hand and punched Jericho with them. Jericho then pulled a fire extinguisher out of nowhere and used it. Conti then attacked the referee at ringside, stole a key and opened the cage 
Ruby Soho ran down and attacked her, but it was too late. Jericho and Kingston climbed to the top. Eddie hit a spinning back fist. Sammy then climbed to the top. Kingston threw Sammy off of the cell into what I can only describe as a comically oversized timekeeper's table and a crash pad at ringside. But it was still a spectacular sight because he didn't just like fall off it like Mankind or last year when Chris Jericho just got pushed off and he fell back first into cardboard and stuff. Like you could tell, number one, he truly went through tables. But number two, he did a swan dive off of it, which was just super impressive. And there's some still shots and some slow down shots of it that just look awesome. Uh, Jericho put Kingston and Walls of Jericho on top. Claudio then climbed up and did the swing on Jericho, which was a really cool sight. Menard joined them and stopped him. Kingston had Jericho stretched as Claudio put Menard in the sharpshooter. And then Menard tapped out to end it. And Kingston was annoyed because he thought he was tapping out Jericho to end the match. And he ended up getting denied the chance to do so by Claudio when what he wanted to do was force Jericho to submit and end their feud and come out on top of this guy that had been giving him shit for all this time. After finally getting to his feet with the rest of the team, like on top of the uh, cage, Kingston raised Claudio's hand. Then Claudio like moved Kingston into the middle of the group, gathered the rest of the guys, and they all raised their hands together. Kingston kept shaking his head in disappointment, playing not only into the Jericho feud, but his long-running issues with Claudio that have been teased, that if you haven't actually like done research or didn't watch independent wrestling like 10 years ago, you wouldn't really know about any of that. So I got a lot of notes coming out of this match. And then we'll hear from Chris once I'm done speaking. First, Santana may have suffered the fastest injury in professional wrestling history. In terms of like getting into a match and getting injured, that period of time, this may be unmatched. He never returned after those first 30 seconds. And that just continues what has been an insane, unfortunate summer of injuries. We're talking about people who are still out that haven't come back, people that have gotten injured and haven't returned quickly, uh, old injuries getting worse. Like you just name the organization. I mean, it's really WWE and AEW, but between those two in particular, it's one person after another, after another. And it just is not stopping. I obviously hope that he's okay. And I hope he comes back soon with this storyline concluding and with AEW announcing Grand Slam coming up, there was definitely a shot in my mind that maybe the Young Bucks drop the titles to Santana and Ortiz this time, like we thought Santana and Ortiz may have won the tag team titles at the first Grand Slam last year. So is that going to happen? You know, I don't know. Is Santana going to be healthy enough to be in that match or to be available even for the show if they decide to do that match? I have no idea, but that is kind of what I was hoping would happen. And now it's seeming like an unlikelihood potentially. Secondly, the rubbing alcohol. As far as I know, it never came into play. I have no idea what it was about. Kingston taking it out at first, then Ty Conti doing it. Were they supposed to light a table on fire? Were they supposed to light a person on fire? Um, Did they scrap it for one reason or another? Is that why the fire extinguisher was in the corner? Again, questions that I just don't have the answers to. Third, once Jericho reached the top of the cells, the camera basically never returned to inside the ring. I mean, there may have been a quick cut or two that I missed, but I have no recollection of them getting back in there. And the problem with that is there were plenty of breaks in the action. There were plenty of times where they weren't doing anything on top and they either went to commercial or they just kept the camera on them. For example, I mentioned the rubbing alcohol. I don't think we ever saw why they pulled up the canvas. I think I heard a crash at some point, but I don't believe we ever got footage of like who got put into the canvas, if it mattered in the match, all that type of stuff. Fourth, I understand why the match was booked this way, why the finish was booked this way, but I question whether it was more important to play into the Eddie Claudio issues if they want to do a feud that again, most fans don't know about, as opposed to letting Kingston beat Jericho right on top of the cell, given their long feud. It was almost like Tony Khan got too cute and too inside baseball in booking the finish instead of just keeping it simple and giving the fans what they want. And what the fans wanted was Kingston over Jericho. 
Eddie Kingston was the most over person individually in that match, more so than the interim AEW champion, more so than Claudio, who just came over from WWE. Eddie Kingston was the star of the match, and he did not get that final moment. They gave it to Claudio for some reason. So look, Kingston, he sold the finish beautifully, okay? He was the star of the match. He was the star of the post-match, the way he was acting. It was great. It just seemed unnecessary not to give us, as Andy Bernard would say, that delicious moment. Overall, Blood and Guts was really good. I would not call it great for all the reasons I just mentioned. They, The other matches that they've done, the other Blood and Guts, I believe were better than this, just straight up. I went four stars A-. minus. The pro wrestlers went over the sports entertainers as expected. The fans clearly had a blast. The Sammy spot was awesome. One other takeaway, nearly every time someone new started bleeding, it kind of felt to me as if it was a little forced. I just think less is more when it comes to that. Two or four people with blood from barbed wire or thumbtacks, specific reasons they are blading, that gets the job done. Six to eight, it feels like you're just purposely trying to make the ring red. And it's a little unnecessary. And then one final note here, Jim Ross uh, prominently referred to uh, Claudio as Cesaro at the end of the match, which is obviously fine. But if I could have bet money on that happening, I absolutely would have. I would be probably a rich man at this time. Taz also called Ruby Soho by Ruby Riot, and William Regal called Brian Danielson Daniel Bryan. All of this happened during the match. So it somehow happened, by the way, three times with three different people doing it on commentary. And again, to clarify, I am not criticizing here because people slip up all the time when they're talking live. We tape a podcast and I slip up all the time on a taped podcast that I can edit. But it also goes to show you exactly why WWE wants their wrestlers to have different names because WWE hammers branding. It hammers exposure and it matters when people go to other organizations that they can't call themselves the names they had in WWE. Now, does it matter where those people are not popular? No, John Moxley is more popular than he's ever been before as John Moxley, not Dean Ambrose. Brian Danielson and Daniel Bryan, they're obviously extremely close to one another from a naming standpoint. But you know what? In 2022, I don't know that he would have been named Daniel Bryan in WWE. I think they probably would have done something completely different, right? So it just goes to show the why WWE in some cases is the way it is because those names are stuck with those people, right? And and this was proof of that. So anyway, Blood and Guts, very good, very entertaining. Was it great? I would not say it's great. Let's go ahead and hear from our correspondent this week, Vintage Chris Vanini, who was in attendance at AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts in Detroit, Michigan. Let's go ahead and see what he has to say. This is Chris Vanini of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast reporting not quite live from Detroit, Michigan, shortly after the end of Blood and Guts. And what a show it was. Plenty of both blood and guts, that is for sure. And I promise Adam and I will get back to our country flag debate. I was not dodging him on the Tuesday WWE show. I was simply at the beach. Now I'm back in Michigan recording this from my parents' basement where all great wrestling content is produced. So Wednesday night, I went to the show with my brother and my dad. Their first AW shows. My dad's first wrestling show ever, really. Uh, so this was the fourth AEW show I've been to after three others in Dallas. And AEW really presented this as a big deal, the first trip to Detroit. Eddie Kingston had done some local media talking up Detroit and, and its history and stuff like that. And the arena, Little Caesars Arena, was basically sold out. There was more than 10,000 people there. Not many open seats from, from what I could see. And obviously we know AEW crowds are always super into things. And you could tell this was a group excited to finally have AEW in town. Uh, Tony Khan came out before Dynamite to do his usual quick speech uh, before the show. I couldn't understand at all what he was saying. He was just kind of yelling and being even spazzier than normal. And the audio in the arena wasn't great. But the crowd was super into it, super into him. Uh, everywhere AW goes, uh, whenever Tony Khan comes out and they get a big pop for stuff like that. So despite only three matches being advertised going into this show and only one having any actual build, 
it didn't matter because the crowd just really wanted to see AEW in person for the first time. Silver King, I am telling you, you really got to get down to one of those AEW Miami shows when they do those. I don't even think you've been to a wrestling show since the podcast started and wrestling kind of went back on the road. You got to get back out there. Uh, It's a hell of a time. Uh, As for the show itself, again, there obviously wasn't much known going in. As for the main show, Orange Cassidy, Ethan Page was a lot of fun. I like the story they told of Orange trying to scoop slam Ethan Page. Um, The Orange Juice spot with Dan Lambert was fun, too. Um, The Christian promo, again, I couldn't hear most of it because the booing was so loud in that arena. And also, the audio was not great. Uh, But Evil Luchasaurus got a huge reaction. And I'm interested in this. I'm curious to see where it goes. Also couldn't hear the whole part of the Max Caster rap because the mic was a little wonky. But I did catch the Juggler reference. I did catch the Flint Water reference, which got a big uh, reaction from the crowd. A huge, huge pop when the acclaimed music started and like their entrance started. That is easily one of the most over things in this company right now. I was disappointed uh, they cut the Ass Boys part of the intro, but it was great to see Anthony Bowens out of the chair, and I hope that means he's back wrestling again. And obviously, they've set up this drama between the Gun Club and, and maybe the Acclaimed, so we'll see where that goes. Um, no thoughts about the Jade Cargill segment other than AEW giving the absolute minimum to women on the show once again, which is disappointing. So, the Blood and Guts match now. Woo. Where to start? Uh, the Mox entrance, huge, huge freaking pop when, when he started, uh, when he came out. The match itself took a little bit to get going. The Santana knee injury was pretty rough to see live. Um, he, when it happened, he rolled over to the cage and started talking to the doctor. And he stayed there for the entire rest of the match. I don't know if they mentioned him on commentary. Didn't look like they showed him with the cameras at all, but he just he just sat there and laid there basically because he knew he couldn't get out because the cage was locked or they had to wait for everybody to come in and the cage was locked. Once everybody went up to the top of the cage, he did eventually get out and get carried back. Uh, obviously, so many injuries in wrestling right now. Hope it's not too bad. Hope he's okay. Uh, I guess we'll see. As for the blood in this match, I gotta be honest, I really hate the stabbing and the blading of other people that Mox does. I know this is called Blood and Guts, and that's the point. Uh, I've seen Nick Gage do that before, but man, is that just... It's gross to me. It just kind of grosses me out. Like, I like the story of someone accidentally being cut open uh, or a hardware or something like that. The stabbing is just... It's not my thing. It's just... It's not my thing. The broken glass... What looked like chopsticks or something that Mox was pounded into, somebody said. That's a lot. Uh, the Claudio and Jake Hager face-to-face got a huge We the People chant from the crowd. I don't know if that came through on TV or not. Uh, say what you will about, uh, you know, We the People in that whole gimmick. But it was memorable. People remember it. And that theme song slapped. Um I didn't realize until about midway through the match that they had added the big cushion over by the table area. I think you actually, t- I think uh, Adam actually tweeted about it during the show. Uh, when you did realize it was there, you knew Sammy was going to be the guy going off of it. But it was still a crazy bump. He had to go a pretty good distance and at an angle while flipping. And he hit that perfectly. Sammy Guevara remains an absolute madman. Uh, I have no idea how Angela Parker got outside of the ring or why, even being in person, I didn't see it. I wondered if he was bleeding too much because he didn't get involved again. He was bleeding quite a bit, uh, but I, nobody really came over to him. He just kind of hung out there, so I, I don't really know what that was all about. And so, obviously, this whole thing culminates with Jericho and Eddie Kingston, who this is all about. But when they're going face-to-face on the top of the cage... They had taken the least amount of damage in the match. Almost everybody else was bleeding except for them. They didn't really get beat up at all with any of the weapons. So when it's the two of them kind of crawling to each other, this is supposed to kind of be their big face-to-face, the, the, the climax of the match. It, it, it just didn't quite land with me because, again, everybody else has 
gotten crimson masks and stuff like that. And these guys were last in the match and they're doing okay. So I, I didn't think that quite landed. Uh, the Claudio spin of Jericho was insane. And we, we, everybody in the crowd was just wincing, praying that he didn't accidentally let go and send Jericho uh, off of the cage. So that was good. Uh, the finish finish was interesting. Claudio gets another big win. It's a great start to his AW run there, obviously. Um, but Eddie and Jericho kind of didn't end. And obviously Eddie was upset about it toward Claudio about that. So I'm curious to see where it goes. It was a very interesting end. And you can keep things... Uh, keep things going. Overall, uh, I had a hell of a time. AW continues to give away pay-per-view matches on TV. And they started some stories that should continue forward. Obviously, Forbidden Door kind of messed up the storytelling and everything like that. But now we've got Eddie Kingston, Claudio, or Eddie Kingston, Jericho still. You've got the Gun Club dissension. You've got Evil Luchasaurus. Uh, I didn't stay for Rampage because my dad had to has to get up early Thursday morning. Uh, so we left early. Uh, but there's a new number one contender based on this battle royal. Uh, so things are moving forward. Overall, it was a terrific follow-up to Forbidden Door, I thought. It was about a little bit more than a month until All Out now. So things kind of need to start coming together quickly for AW. And I'm excited to you know, see where it goes. Uh, as for me, I will be back in a normal schedule for our Money in the Bank pre-show and instant analysis on Saturday. And off we go from there. So from Detroit, this is Chris Vanini reporting, Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Back to you, Adam. All right. Well, I appreciate Chris filing that report and joining us fresh off of AEW Blood and Guts from Detroit. That was great. He did go a little bit beyond, of course, the the Blood and Guts match itself, which I did expect. So let's go ahead and break down everything else that happened on Dynamite and last week's Rampage as well, most notably, I think, on Dynamite, had to do with Christian Cage. So he was interviewed on the stage and got his ass booed loudly from the start, as Chris said. He said management asked him to apologize for last week, so he's sorry that Jungle Boy's entire family isn't dead. Well, everyone except for his mom. He got cheap heat on Detroit and said he requested a match for Luchasaurus, who came out wearing all black with a new theme and a bunch of fireballs uh, blasting around him. So he had Luchasaurus against Serpentico. There was a headbutt and then a snare trap with a nerve hold on the collar for the win in a minute. Uh, Obviously, Luchasaurus using Jungle Boy's submission finisher. After the match, Christian wanted more pain, so Luchasaurus chokeslammed Serpentico outside the ring. I thought Luchasaurus looked great, uh, really strong repackage for him, and I love the idea of Christian not only turning on Jungle Boy, but turning Jungle Boy's best friend against him. Hopefully, they actually explain the why to the entire storyline. Because, you know, Christian told us his motivation, which was very weak for turning on Jungle Boy, but he whispered in Luchasaurus's ear, saying, hey, just let me explain. Don't don't kill me, whatever. And I want to know what he explained. What did he tell him? You know, why is Luchasaurus on his side instead of Jungle Boy's? And where is this going to go from here? Now, Chris did mention All Out is coming up soon. You have to believe Christian versus Jungle Boy will be at that show. But it kind of feels like they may do the Luchasaurus match first and then push out the Christian match for another, I don't know, three months or so and make him wait to get there or do it at Grand Slam or do it somewhere else. So I'm curious to see where it all goes. But this was the most intriguing thing that happened on Dynamite other than, of course, the main event. Scorpio Sky and Wardlow had a face-off backstage. Sky said he doesn't have a chance of winning the TNT title. Wardlow said he could bring everyone from American Top Team, but Wardlow would still prevail. Sky suggested they do the title match next week in a street fight. And you know what? That could actually lead to so much interference that maybe Wardlow doesn't take the title. I mean, I still think he will. Uh, I doubt it's the case that he wouldn't take the championship, but at least it allows you to think that there's a chance he won't. Um, More than anything else, at least they're finally moving forward with this. But man, it would have been cool if Wardlow just had a match on Dynamite and beat someone, someone of some significance. They had the Ethan Page match, right, on the show. We're going to talk about that uh, in a moment. Why not just have Wardlow Ethan Page? Have him beat Scorpio Sky's guy, and then he can fight Scorpio Sky. I don't know. Maybe that's too simple. Orange Cassidy fought Ethan Page. Speaking of, this opened the show. Dan Lambert got best friends ejected because of some 
kayfabe rule in Detroit where only managers can accompany people at ringside. Meanwhile, we saw Kiara Hogan later accompany Jade Cardgill, and we saw Ty Conti accompany the entire Jericho Appreciation Society. Neither of them are managers, and if this was a rule, they should have been ejected as well. So it was just flimsy that they actually ejected them. It's one thing for Lambert to call for it. It's another for the referee to actually do it and then not keep that rule throughout the rest of the show. Orange hit a tornado DDT for a near fall. Then he drank some of Lambert's orange juice, spit it back in his face. He hit Paige with an orange punch and a very simple body slam uh, for the win, and he got a pretty big pop. Did not expect Paige to win, but he's booked so poorly that it really wasn't a surprise. As Chris mentioned, best friends did reunite together. So they're back. Rapongi Vice, I guess that's now gone. Uh, it was a nice moment for Orange, I think, coming out of his great match with Will Ospreay to give him a win, get him over. That was pretty cool. The Young Bucks backstage were disappointed that all of their undisputed elite guys are injured, saying they had no friends left backstage except their tag team titles. They said the forbidden door was cracked open just a tad because Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto wanted a title match, but the Bucks instead gave them what is the equivalent of a championship contenders match. It'd probably be a really damn good wrestling match, but there's really not much to dive into here. You know they're not going to win, and you know then even if they did, they're not going to win the titles. Max Caster and the Ass Boys fought Danhausen and FTR. Caster was really strong with uh, Juggalo and Flint references in his rap, obviously being in Detroit. But the dude also rhymed boys with boys, which that's a no-no. That's a violation of Hip Hop 101. Um, you know, got to put him in jail for that. FTR were the surprise partners for Danhausen, as I already spoiled. Uh, FTR hit three stereo German suplexes with Dax, adding three more to make it nine total. Danhausen went for a GTS when there was a distraction, and Anthony Bowens jumped out of the wheelchair only to miss a crutch shot before Danhausen covered for the win. It was a feel-good match. The faces got the win. It's what you want. The two sets of heels argued after the bell, with Billy Gunn shoving his sons and seemingly siding with the acclaimed. So that's a curious development. It's a low-card feud. You know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the TBS championship was on the line. Jade Cargill against Lila Gray. Layla Gray is probably more correct. Uh, Cargill hit a pump kick and jaded for the win in a couple minutes. You may be asking yourself, Silver King, why did an 0-4 jobber get a title match on Dynamite? That's a great question. I have no answer. You may be asking yourself, was this the only women's segment on the entire show? Well, I do have that answer, and you know it's yes. Jade demanded Stokely Hathaway get her real competition. Stokes said everyone else was lazy, so Athena and Chris Statlander ran down to attack, which now seems to have happened like three weeks in a row. They were set to take out Jade when Layla pushed Athena off the top rope. Then she went to shake Stokes' hand, but Jade pushed her hand away. So maybe she joins the baddies, maybe she doesn't and just got paid for doing that. Does anyone really give a shit about the baddies at this point? I, I'm sorry, this shit, it's honestly just terrible. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Let's get to something that was not terrible. On Rampage, we had Andre El Idolo against Ray Phoenix. Phoenix countered after two amigos into three amigos and later hit a springboard missile dropkick and a rolling cutter. Andrade got his knees up on a frog splash for a 2.5. His pants ripped. Phoenix avoided a running knee in the post and flew with a double stomp outside. The referee stopped Andrade from using a tablet. He missed a low blow but got an eye gouge. The seconds, like at ringside, brawled as Roosh walked down the ramp to low blow Phoenix. It got no reaction from the crowd. Andrade then won with a hammerlock DDT. After the bell, they revealed La Fashion Ingobernable shirts without any more detail about whether they are a faction, what they're doing. Maybe we'll find out this week on Rampage. I'm not really sure. And lastly, Phoenix's mask got removed again because it always does. And Penta Oscuro ran down with a shovel for the save. The wrestling was good here in parts. Don't get me wrong. But this match was somehow slower than I expected. And the finish was just a mess. It never really found a rhythm to take it to the next level, which is what you would expect from Phoenix and Andrade. I have a feeling some are going to grade this higher in the A range, but I'm just, I couldn't get there, honestly. 3.5 stars and a B, and the post-match was a bunch of whatever. On Rampage, Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez fought Laurie Luck and Sierra. The heels won with a double submission in three minutes. It was the only women's match on the show. I didn't understand the point of it. Uh, we also got Hook against the DKC. This was an NJPW Dojo student opponent. Hook won in less than three minutes with Red Rum. It was a total waste of time. On Rampage, Tully Blanchard announced a new stable 
with two guys whose names I literally couldn't make out from like the audio and Brian Cage, who we haven't seen in AEW since October 2021. Seems like it's a Ring of Honor faction. I don't really know why it was on TV or why there weren't labels for the people that we've never seen before. Uh, And then on Dynamite, Jay Lethal demanded for like the 12th time that Samoa Joe defend his Ring of Honor TV title against him. This time he set a date, July 23rd at the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Doing this quick promo segment, like it's a fine way to insert Ring of Honor into the show and it's way better than doing shit in the ring. So as you could tell, a lot of that just was thrown together extra stuff for this week in AEW on Rampage. They're having a 20-man Royal Rampage match. So they're using the two rings and doing a two-ring battle royal where only one person can get eliminated at a time. I wasn't even really sure about the rules when they explained it on Dynamite, but apparently it was a pretty good match. And that is for a number one contender for John Moxley. Now, whether that person gets a match against Moxley at Blood at um All Out, I almost said Blood or Guts, but whether they get it at All Out or just on TV remains to be seen. I don't know who won. I don't don't read the spoilers for Rampage. I assume it's going to be a Dynamite match and not a uh, pay-per-view match. I think they would build probably a stronger storyline for that, but we will find out. So, you know, Blood and Guts, very entertaining, interesting stuff with AEW. The rest of what happened last week, though, both leading into Forbidden Door and kind of coming out of it, for me, not that great. Uh, the, the Luchasaurus thing, honestly, popped me the most out of anything else AEW did, with the exception, of course, of Blood and Guts itself. So with that, let us move to the second portion of the show, which is NXT. We will first go over a bunch of stuff that happened on NXT that is not directly related to the Great American Bash. And to my surprise, there was a lot. This was a absolutely loaded edition of NXT from the standpoint of things happening. Just like it seemed every five minutes, something else was developing and going down. And again, they they built every single match almost on the Great American Bash card and still got a ton of stuff that happened elsewhere. So let's go over everything that happened that had nothing to do with Great American Bash, and then we will get into an ultimate preview for that show. Uh, let's start off with a match, Sangha against Zion Quinn. Uh, Sangha got attacked during his entrance, and they brawled through a commercial before being separated right before the bell. You know, candidly, what was it? It was two big meaty men going at it. But it was also a really slow match with Sangha doing basic moves and absorbing everything. He called for a finish and won with a choke slam. Very simple in a couple minutes. I just didn't understand the booking at all. Like Sangha is big and strong. He does have some personality, but the wrestling skill seems really limited for a guy who's been there for the better part of five years. Zion, meanwhile, is someone they should be building. He says it later, but he has the look. You know, he has the the size. He is someone who could really be a WWE superstar. I don't really see Sangha moving into that role. So I'm not sure why they didn't put Quinn over here. It wasn't offensively bad or anything like that, but it was a really confusing booking decision. Solo Sokoa was complaining to Apollo Crews backstage about his loss to Grayson Waller. Crews told him to keep his head up because he's special and Crews has been, been himself in the same position that Sokoa has before. Quinn said Cruz can't become the perfect WWE superstar because he's the perfect WWE superstar. Cruz said Zion's future looks bright on paper, just not the way he sees it. So clearly Cruz is going to get a win over Zion soon, and that's fine. Uh, I like the interaction with Sokoa better, and it was really cool to see him put Solo over the way he did, given his recent loss, built him back up a little bit. But again, I'm just confused at really what they're doing with Zion Quinn. Tony D'Angelo was playing with a gold watch and holding a leather jacket on a dock. As we heard a big splash in the background, he said two dimes, made a move for his chair, and is now sleeping with the fishes. Santos Escobar called his cell and laughed at him, so he threw that in the water as well. For some reason, they kept the leather jacket, but got rid of the watch. It was a really strange way, I thought, to write off two dimes. Uh, this is the guy who, of course, was released before, like in the middle of uh, NXT, having taped three different episodes uh, a couple weeks ago. But I thought it was just strange to write him off this way, when they could have just let Legado del Fantasma take him out, which fits in storyline. I said it last week, I am very much growing weary of the D'Angelo family and Tony D'Angelo, the entire mafioso gimmick. It's one note, it's getting more trite by the week, and if they don't like freshen it up some way soon, 
I don't really know what they're going to do with it. It's just not entertaining anymore. D'Angelo doesn't even do the fun stuff that he was doing at the beginning, like bribing people and making, you know, little remarks and tweaking people and threatening them. It's just like this Kingpin Don character, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't win. His moveset's not improving. It's just like the same one note thing. Another way of saying this. Brooks and Jensen won the NXT UK tag team titles last week after they were vacated due to injury. It's a really curious decision, I thought, given there's a bunch of really good tag teams over there. And, you know, they don't live in the United Kingdom like that. Like, you know, so to put the UK tag team titles on a couple of guys who are, you know, improving, but certainly not ready for that spotlight, I would say, was definitely a curious uh, call. They hit the ring for a promo and got a USA chant for really no good reason that I could tell. Uh, before saying former champions Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter could get a match as soon as they are healthy. Jensen thanked Brooks for believing in him. Uh, Fallon Henley wanted to drink some beer, so Pretty Deadly came out and talked some shit about them being too low class for those titles. They brawled, Brooks hit an atomic drop. I honestly haven't seen one of those in years. And then Henley got a really nice slap for good measure. It was a much better segment than I expected it was going to be. But again, the booking, I don't understand why they did that. I do wonder if maybe Pretty Deadly wins the titles and just goes back over. Maybe they decided that the U.S. is not for them. Or do they lose that match? Not only lose the titles, but lose an opportunity to win the U.K. titles and then go to the main roster. Again, I don't really know what the deal is with Pretty Deadly. It was surprising they won them so quickly. It's surprising that they lost them so quickly. And it's surprising to me that they're still there, given there's a male model gimmick on the main roster. So I guess we will see in the future. Lash Legend interrupted a random NXT trainer who was giving a status update on Alba Fire. Lash said Fire is on the shelf permanently and that she talks the talk, walks the walk, and makes people's mouths drop. Her promo was actually pretty good. I sincerely hope the Fire stuff is just kayfabe though because if she's injured in addition to Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, and I mean, we've gone over everyone in June and this summer that's injured in WWE and AEW. It's just ridiculous um, because she was really gaining some momentum with this new repackage, and it would suck if Kaylee Ray is now out for an extended period of time. Hopefully, it's all bullshit. Uh, Giovanni Vinci fought Ikamanjiro. Vinci hit an insane flying tornado DDT that got a holy shit chant. WWE bleeped it, by the way, which was absolutely ridiculous. He immediately hit a last ride Liger Bomb for the win in three minutes. This was an appropriate squash, and Vinci looked like a million bucks here. I may not love the gimmick, but the refresh has done him well. And I don't know why I said it that way, refresh. The refresh has done him well. And the entrance, by the way, is exquisite, though it's kind of funny that it starts with a picture of a dude, like with an oily chest, um, looking into the camera, smiling, and the words, I came, show up underneath this, underneath him on the screen. They may want to rethink that. Uh, Indy Hartwell fought Kiana James. Indy missed her pretty savage uh, springboard elbow drop. And James did a jackknife cover with one toe on the ropes for the win in about four minutes. This was just, this was awful in every way. Uh, It was almost completely on James. It was also nonsensical booking to have Indy not only lose, but lose this quickly this way. Plus, she barely got her foot on the rope. So that was partially botched. The whole thing was a mess. And lastly, Jordan Devlin, now JD McDonough. Got another vignette that was as loud as a whisper. You could barely hear him. He said he's the necessary evil needed to bring balance to NXT. Not as good as last week, but perfectly fine. So that's everything that happened in NXT that is not directly related to the Great American Bash, which is what we are going to get to right now, the NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview. We've actually ended up with a pretty nice six-match card with all of the championships on the line except for Mandy Rose's NXT Women's Championship, but don't worry, we will be talking about her momentarily. The only other thing besides the six matches that may be on the card is Giovanni Vinci, who basically said, there's not going to be a great American bash without me. Now, what that means, is it just a filler match? Is it a segment? I don't exactly know what they're doing, but he will be on the show in addition to these six matches. So let's go ahead and get to them. Uh, We'll start with the undercard. We'll work our way to the expected main event. As always, we'll break down what happened on NXT and then I'll give a prediction at the end. 
So we have Wendy Chu against Tiffany Stratton. Chu had a nightmare about Stratton talking shit, but then dreamed of all the ways that she's made her life miserable in the past. Then we heard Chu's inner monologue, knowing she dresses silly, but that it gets into the heads of her competitors. So this should be a really interesting match. I mean, Chu is coming off the NXT Women's Championship opportunity that she had and obviously lost. Stratton was in the finals of the NXT Women's Breakout Tournament, lost that as well. So two women in a situation where they definitely need a win. I have to believe they're going to put Stratton over Chu. Chu losing is basically meaningless. It doesn't hurt her character at all. Stratton losing would be kind of depressing for her, right? Having lost two big opportunities in a row. So yeah, I'll have Stratton winning this match. We have Wesley against Trick Williams. Wesley backstage said he wore his heart in his sleeve last week, which is a strength, not a weakness. He promised to show that strength against Trick as he continues to find his inner peace. Trick later promised to beat Wesley into oblivion. What I like most about this is that Trick Williams is getting a solo opportunity. They're not splitting him from Carmelo Hayes, but at the same time, he's getting a chance to work. That said, Wesley is clearly the person that they're pushing here. So another very easy prediction that Wesley will go ahead and beat Trick. I hope it's a good match and I hope they get a good amount of time because I'm really curious to see what they do against one another. And I don't want West to just get into another one of these matches and win in three minutes. There's six matches. It's only a two hour show with commercials. So there are going to be some short matches, but hopefully they get five, six minutes. That's really what I'm hoping. Uh, We do have a women's tag team championship match, Toxic Attraction against a team to be determined. And we got a lot to talk about on how they got there. So on NXT, we had Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade against Caden Carter and Katana Chance. This was a number one contendership match for the women's tag team titles, and it opened the show. Chance hit a springing double stomp on Perez while she was draping on Carter's knees from a backstabber in a really cool spot. They tried the draping 450 spot, but it was set up such that there was really no way Chance could actually hit it. So obviously, Jade helped Perez escape, and Roxanne hit Pop Rocks on Chance for the win in 14 minutes. It was a fun match that got the crowd going. I would say uh, three stars, B minus, just really entertaining. Good in spots, rough in other spots. The winners were predictable given Toxic had just defeated the KCs a couple of weeks ago. So when the match started, Wade Barrett indicated that a tag team title match for the Neophytes here would be a bonus and not Roxanne cashing in her breakout tournament contract, which obviously I criticized last week. Now, that's not what they said last week, hence my rant. And I thought it was a pretty good rant, so I'll give myself a little Barry Horowitz there. But I'm glad they either corrected the mistake or at least clarified the situation. Backstage, Toxic said they were unimpressed with their challengers. Mandy Rose confused things again by talking about the contract. Nikita Lyons interrupted to say the breakout tournament would have been hers if she didn't get injured. Mandy then called herself the queen of the jungle. The Casey's later threw a fit in the locker room to continue, I guess, a heel turn, I guess is what they're doing. I really have no idea. Uh, Again, I repeat it so many times. They should have been on the main roster months ago. Now they're getting a character change after being made into fun EDM party girls. I just just don't get it. Uh, So anyway, Mandy Rose fought Nikita Lyons later in the show. Mandy worked the legs because Lyons does so many kicks. Nikita hit a German suplex, but Mandy caught her with a missile drop kick. Lyons then delivered roundhouse kicks when Toxic Attraction forced the disqualification after nine minutes. They held Lyons so Mandy could slap her before Perez and Jade made the save. I would just basically call this a bad match with an eye-rolling finish that you could feel was coming down the stretch. NXT really needs to take the title off Mandy. The division has done so little with her at the helm, and there's a ton of talent there. It's just non-competitive right now. Everyone's biding their time, basically doing nothing as she continues to hold the championship. And yet, there's no number one contender and no title match at the Great American Bash. Now, as far as the tag team title match, when I thought this was a contract match, the faces were a no-brainer pick. But that's not the case. So now I'm thinking differently. Like, I'm not sure it would make sense for Roxanne to have the tag team titles and the contract simultaneously. So I'm actually going to reverse course, pick Toxic to retain with Mandy interfering and being the reason why. Maybe the trio finally loses their titles on SummerSlam weekend. It would seem strange for Roxanne to be the one to beat Mandy for the title when you have Io Shirai coming back and Zoe Stark coming back soon. Alba Fire's there. And there's other really talented women who are more experienced and ready to be champions. But as we've seen with Braun Breaker, with the Creed brothers, with Carmelo Hayes, NXT's putting the championships on the neophytes. That's what they're doing. So 
Maybe that's what happens. They get screwed out of it here and Roxanne beats Mandy at SummerSlam. That's my prediction as of right now. A tag team championship match was also added to the card and let's get to that as well. So we had Joe Gacy and the Dyad. They invaded the Diamond Mine facility for Gacy to say he appreciated the Creed brothers and Ivy Nile, even if Roderick Strong did not. Julius Creed said they fight, but Diamond Mine is forever. Strong entered to back him up and it seemed like we got a tag team challenge. Now, after they left, Strong dapped up Damon Kemp with a stern look. So we had Strong and the Creeds against Gacy and the Dyad. It was actually a six man. So all of Diamond Mine was at ringside. The heels struggled early. Gacy gave the Dyad a pep talk outside, which made them aggressive. Julius then lifted one of them into a vertical suplex, literally from the mat, which was absolutely insane. I wrote here Wyatt did a handstand and what I really meant was Gacy, but funny how that happens. Uh, uh, Gacy did a handstand on the turnbuckles as the Dyad forced Brutus to watch him. Gacy then hit a Uranagi for a near fall. Julius got the hot tag and hit his rolling slam when Strong tagged himself in blind. Strong hit a running knee and they shoved each other. Brutus pounced Gacy, who almost hit Strong with his springing handstand move. Strong then mistook the legal Dyad member and they hit an awful elevated DDT. I can't believe that's their finisher as the Creeds watched from the apron and did not break the fall to end this match after 14 minutes. They yelled at Strong while he was on the canvas and the segment ended. Backstage, the Creeds and Strong got into a shouting match with Strong trying to teach them a lesson and the Creeds having no idea what he's trying to do because he keeps getting in their way. Then Strong challenged them not just to a match, but to a title match just so they could settle all of the infighting. So it's going to be the Creed brothers against Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp at NXT Great American Bash. The advancement of the Diamond Mine story, it continues to be interesting. However, the Gacy and Dyad stuff, it remains as horrendous as something can be. It just, it's truly terrible. The Dyad has to be the worst gimmick on NXT that I can remember. And the entire creative is terrible. And when I say the Dyad is the worst gimmick, I need to remind you, they had someone in a bunny suit. That was a gimmick for someone. This is worse than that. They're clearly trying more and more each week to make Gacy a great value version of Bray Wyatt. But the problem is he's nowhere near as good in the ring or on the mic. And this version of his gimmick, it lacks any credibility or believability. It's actually offensive to me that they think somehow this is working. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap. So I have the Creed brothers defending and retaining the titles, obviously not just defending, but retaining the titles, keeping the titles and winning the match. I have no idea what it's going to mean for Diamond Mine. As long as Gacy and the Dyad is away from them, though, I don't really care. Just get them off my TV. The Diamond Mine stuff, though, does interest me. And I am really curious to see how this all plays out. We also have a North American championship match. Carmelo Hayes defending the title against Grayson Waller. You may say, how the hell did that happen, Silver King? Well, I'm about to tell you. Mello explained why he's the A champion in a promo, calling himself an exceptional talent. Waller then walked up with a basketball and a bunch of merchandise for him to sign. It was super random, but like in an enjoyable way. And it was also funny that he was having a guy named Mello sign a basketball. And Carmelo Hayes like didn't think twice of it. I know he does the ball in thing, but like clearly you'd want Carmelo Anthony to sign a basketball. And maybe Mello should have been like, well, don't you want like Anthony to sign it? And Long story short, it was, it was just a little strange the way they kind of put it together. However, it later made sense because it was revealed that Waller actually tricked Mello into signing a contract for a title match while he was doing all the signatures. The problem with this wasn't Mello being fooled, but him hardly caring when he found out. Now, maybe that's pure confidence and that's supposed to be Mello sticking out his chest so I can beat anyone, but he didn't really sell it that way. So I wish they had done this a little bit better. Waller by the way, beat Solo Sokoa back on June 8th in what should have been a number one contendership match as it stood. And Mello wasn't really ducking Waller anyway. So they could have just simply announced that he was the number one contender, which would have made all of the sense in the world. Now, this match booking is super interesting to me, right? Because I think we all are in agreement, or at least I've said it so many times that I assume everyone agrees with me, that Carmelo Hayes should not be North American champion anymore. He did a great job with the title. This second run, it just feels like a repeat. There's nothing unique happening. He should have moved up and been the main challenger for Braun Breaker for the NXT championship 
And he should be the one to beat Braun Breaker, most likely, for the NXT Championship. So in that way, it makes a lot of sense to have Grayson Waller beat him for the title. Also, Waller is an absolute heat magnet. The question is, how do you do it? Because Hayes losing clean isn't something that you would really expect to happen here. I still happen to believe that Solo Sokoa will be the one to take the title off Hayes. It seems like they're kind of working him up for that. However, they could also have Solo Sokoa take the title off Waller in a couple of months. Personally, I would wait to change the titles, not on TV, but at SummerSlam weekend. Maybe they do a takeover. There's nothing announced at this time, but maybe they will. We will find out. So I'm going to go ahead and assume a retention here with Carmelo Hayes. But if there was going to be a title change on the show, I would actually put this as the most likely championship to change hands. Previously, the Women's Tag Team Championship. Now I would say this one is more likely than that. Maybe they'll do one of them. And I hope they do because title changes are exciting when they happen on TV. And lastly, we have the NXT Championship, Braun Breaker defending against Cameron Grimes. There was a face-to-face segment. Wade Barrett came in to host and Braun basically respectively told him to piss off. Uh, Grimes said Braun was in a no-lose situation because even if he did drop the title, he'd probably just get called up to the main roster and maybe even put on the SummerSlam card. Whereas Grimes, he doesn't have a backup plan. Like wrestling was Braun's backup plan for football. Breaker said he'd spear him in half. Grimes said he gets up when he gets knocked down and he gets up again. So never try to keep him down. Breaker said he's bigger, stronger, and faster. Grimes said that may be true, but he doesn't have any heart just like his dad. Braun then went to choke Grimes and hit his finisher, but he was unable to because Grimes slid off his shoulders and threw Braun into the corner. Then he dodged Braun and Braun ran himself into the corner. And when he did that the second time, the turnbuckle exploded. Braun sold an injured right arm. And I gotta say, this weird thing happened. It somehow looked like his arm had gotten discolored and bruised. And I don't think it really did. So either there was makeup on the arm that we didn't notice before, or it was just my eyes deceiving me. I'm not exactly sure what happened. But if you look at it in that moment, you see like a swollen little area on his arm that's discolored. Now, it's also possible that that may have been legitimate from something he did in the gym. He tore a bicep or, you know, maybe something like that happened. But I noticed a discoloration and I thought it was weird that it happened that way. And also could have just been the lights in the performance center. Again, I have no idea. But what it did was put doubt in my mind entering this match. Now, if Braun is injured, then having Grimes take the title off of him makes a ton of sense. He's a veteran there. He's completely capable of leading the main event division. You could have uh, Hayes drop the North American title and Braun drop the main title. Grimes take it and then Grimes lose it to Carmelo Hayes, potentially, at a takeover. I'm realizing now that I've said the word takeover a few times recently on this show. When I don't mean that, obviously, takeovers no longer exist in NXT parlance. What I mean is the next premium live event put on by NXT. But you could do a double switch like that and have it work. I lean towards believing this is more of a storyline than it is any portion of reality. And if Braun is not injured in any legitimate way, then I just don't really see them having Grimes take the title off him. Maybe they call up Grimes to the main roster after he loses to Breaker. That would be awesome too, because that character, what he's doing right now, the aggressiveness, the seriousness, that totally works on the main roster. Another option is they could have him take someone under his wing and form a tag team and go after those titles. So there's still a lot that they can do with Cameron Grimes. The thing about Braun Breaker though, I talked about Tony D'Angelo becoming one note and a lot of his stuff being trite, that's happened to Braun Breaker. And it's not really totally his fault. The Joe Gacy storyline took all the momentum out of his sales. He needs to gain it back. Maybe this can be the start of that if he does retain. But Braun, it's just kind of like the same thing every week. And you kind of roll your eyes sometimes at his promos because they're just, it's old Roman Reigns style promos. It's just the one note, I'm better than you, I'm stronger than you, you can't beat me. And it's like, all right, that's great when you're starting, but you've been champion for a while now. You need to have more behind it. You need to progress on the mic. So that's been disappointing. So I do have Braun Breaker uh, retaining the title here as my official prediction, but I could see stuff happening the other way. No matter what, 
This does shape up to be a very exciting, great American bash card. As I said, six matches, uh, four titles on the line, and the other two are pretty interesting in their own right. So I am extremely curious to see what we get next Tuesday from Great American Bash. And that is really it for today's show. We had a lot to go over, of course, between AEW Dynamite, Blood and Guts, uh, the rest of the stuff that happened on Dynamite and Rampage, NXT, and our NXT Great American Bash Ultimate Preview. And I appreciate all of you for listening along to the entire show, hopefully. Uh, Please do not forget that we have a WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview waiting for you in our podcast feed. Also, do not forget what is coming up from a podcast standpoint, the WWE Money in the Bank Instant Analysis Saturday night. As soon as that show goes off the air, we will also have a live show, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. Follow us at Getting Overcast. You can join here. Our final predictions are thoughts on the card. And we also open up the mic so that you guys can ask questions, provide comments, and just talk to us right ahead of that premium live event. We will have pre and post show polls coming out on Twitter. Again, follow us at Getting Overcast. That way you can vote. And last but not least, I would not be closing an episode of Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if I did not remind you once more that this show So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave that five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you subscribe, and tell them to do the same. Thank you all for listening. It has already been a jam-packed week. We will see you on Saturday. But for now, Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now. 